0: I'm Darren Garrahy and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life. The podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to their no laughing matter moments, to the person they always laugh with.
1: So we used to do this thing where we'd play a game of um, a game of cards. So whoever lost in the game of cards had to do a forfeit. Yeah. So they'd have to do something. So for example, I had to go into a shop. I, used to, I lost it one day and I had to go into a shop. I was 20 John Flair blew. And I was there you go, that'd be 1050. I'm Christy Dignam, I don't pay for cigarettes. And you had to do it, you know, because this was your forfeit. So things like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: do. yeah. Singer and just generally iconic man, Christy Dignam, is my guest this week. He talks to me about growing up in Fingless, only ever wanting to be a singer, and birthday presents from Bono. Christy has always been an open book, and in this interview he is no different. As a result, the interview does contain subject matter that some listeners may find distressing. Be sure to have a read of the show notes for more details. This season of the podcast is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Gentle reminder... Their sale in Dunn Stores ends on the 14th of June, which is this coming Monday. So if you haven't tried out Aussie products before, now is the perfect time. Get in there, pick up whatever you think might suit your hair, whether it's the Colour made Shampoo and Conditioner or the SOS Kiss of Life range from the Shampoo, Conditioner to the 3 Minute Miracle. Whatever it might be, pick them up this week. You have until Monday. Get in there, get shopping and get fabulous hair. And now for my chat with Christy Dignam. I hope you enjoy. Christy Dignam, you are extremely welcome to The Last of Your Life.
1: It's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this actually.
0: So, so I last, I think it was November, uh went to film something with Francis Brennan. Yes. There was a couple of different people involved, yourself included, you That's and
1: your right, family. Yeah. The rip-off of Google box was not it? <laughs> <isn't> it?
0: <laughs> we weren't allowed to say that at the time, but no, yeah, you no, can no, kind of no. say it now. <laughs> yeah. So we crossed paths there that yeah. day, yeah. and I was like, Hey Christy, how's it going? You were like, How's it going? Love your podcast. And I was like, what? It's just, you know what? I have this thing about Irish comedians, and some of
1: the Irish comedians are making a fortune in this country, and it just fucking goes over my head. And I'm talking about the top comedians, I won't mention any names. <laughs> like, fuck me, man. What? That's not funny. Like, shaking, shaking your finger out a window is not funny. I just don't find it funny. There's a few comedians, boy. I find you really funny. And there's another girl, that's Beyond, she does uh, a lot of stuff on Lion. You know that blonde girl? Oh, Enya Martin, is it?
0: I don't know You don't know? Is, there's
1: two <laughs> of them actually. And I, I actually went... There's two of them that look similar. Do you know the two I'm talking about?
0: Who look similar?
1: One does a Polish kind of... She does, a, does a, this Polish thing. Right. Anyway, I fucking went to the wrong one. I said, look at show, and it was like me said to you. I'm going to give you a, nice, a nice stand. No, go <laughs> on, go on. Just, go just, on.
0: just cause the dog is like, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. On. No, but we like do. We though. do stand just in case. It just, you, okay,
1: don't want, you don't. You don't have to hold it then. No, just because in okay. Case the, the dog <laughs> but run yeah, it. I went up to her and I said, oh, Chase, "I changed the lovey we with the one shall
0: <laughs> 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 We should probably explain what's going on if we do hear noises in the background. We have Molly and we have Holly. Which is the dog and which is the parrot? The dog is,
1: uh, is Holly and the parrot is Molly.
0: You have had Molly for how long?
1: Eight months. I only got Holly yesterday.
0: Well, do you know what? OK, so we'll be perfectly honest. We rocked up to the door and you said you totally forgot about us. Yes. That's he, fine.
1: Chemo, brain. Anybody that's done chemo knows the story.
0: Look at, you have a lot going on. You you welcomed, welcomed us in anyway. And you've also had a bit of a rough week dog wise. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So I had this dog, Jack, I have him 12 years. He was me wingman. He came everywhere with me, absolutely everywhere. And um, so I had him on Sunday. He was grand. He was, like, jumping around like a pup. I went for a walk with him. And then Monday, uh, Sunday night, he got a bit ill. So Monday, I rang the vet about 8 o'clock. And he says, go on Skype and show me his gums and his eyes and all. So I did all that. said, come down to the vets. So I dropped him down. And he says, look, he's at the, he had a bit of a heart thing, you know. So he says, uh, he's at the retaining fluid. I'll put him on a diuretic drip, he says. And I'll ring you during the day. So I got home here about half nine. And I was literally five minutes in the house, the phone rang, can it come straight back down? He's not having a turn. So when we got down there, he was at the, he was just flaked out of a pet, just said a valve had popped in his heart. So we had to get him put down and I was absolutely fucking devastated. Aww. So I'm even getting choked up just thinking. I about. know. Uh, and uh,
0: a lot of people, I think when, when you, you lose... If you haven't had
1: a dog, you don't, don't you wouldn't know, understand. You don't it. get it. But if you had a dog, I, I'll tell you a story. When I, when I, the first dog I had... I came home from my honeymoon and my sister was getting the stray. You know those black and white collies, the sheepdogs? And I had her, Sally was her name, and I had her for 14 years and she died. And it took me 18 years to get Jack, do you know what I mean, just to get over that. I couldn't even look. I know that two man and his dog on the telly with the sheep trials. If I looked at that, I used to crack up. So it took me 18 years to get Jack and then I had him for 12 years. And as I said, anybody that knows me now, he's been fucking everywhere with me. So it was heartbreaking. It was actually worse than my dad. My dad died of COVID during a few weeks. I know. Months ago. I was so sorry. It was actually worse that. than that. Honest to God. And I, I don't know. It. I know my dad would probably course at me. He'd probably send a bolt of lightning down <laughs> to. But uh, honest to God, it was heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking.
0: And look, you'll never replace Jack, but you have Holly now. Yeah. And it's good to have that focus. Yeah.
1: I think it's just, just with the house, because the house felt like a morgue without him, you know. So yeah. I just got this into it. Uh, you know, initially uh, t- on the first day, I said I told, I said to my wife, as a captain, I said I will never have a dog again. I said because I couldn't put myself through this. Mm. But then I was thinking, you know, that thing—it's it, it, um, better to have loved and lost than never. Have yeah. So I was thinking, would you prefer never to have had Jack and not go through this? And uh, like I'd, I'd, I'd go through this for a month for just another day with Jack. You know, so you uh, know, it sounds like we were lovers, but we weren't. <laughs> so there's no there's no bestiality in that no. Holly, shut up! You're mainly showing me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christy, shall we start with the questions? Yes, Christy Dignam, your first memory of laughter.
1: Um, I can't even remember really. There was it was a bloke on the road, Leo Casey, when we were kids, and he was just you know, you know the way some Dublin blokes are just really funny, mm-hmm. and it was just kid stuff. So I remember he used to just have me like he used to have me pissing in my trousers, laughing. You know? <laughs> he was just a funny Dublin guy, you know. And I remember I used to look up Lendon O'Carroll and I used to think, I know blokes that, you know, are ten times funnier than him that you just meet in the boozer, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he was one of these guys. So he used to have me, he used to have me, uh, but I can't remember a particular incident. Yeah, I was yeah. a kid, you know.
0: Tell me about your childhood. What was it like? I had a great childhood.
1: I was born in Thingless. Well, I was born in Cabra and then um, I moved to Thingless when I was six months old. So I was reared more or less in Fingless. In and uh, I had a great childhood. At that time, Fingless was kind of, it was completely different than its now. It's gone a little bit, I mean, it's still a great place. And the majority of people, the majority of people there are beautiful, you know, but there's an element there now, obviously, with the drugs and all, and there's some bad shit going on. But it was a great place when I was growing, and I spent my childhood growing up. There was Fingless was kind of more rural then. It was out in the kind of country a little bit. So we used to do all getting boards and nests and all that carry on, you know, so... Great childhood. It's funny because I was in the Rutland Centre years later, right, for for the for, for the drugs thing, right? And it's that, it's that pit bothered you? <laughs> right. So I was in the I was the Rutland Centre and in the Rutland Centre it was kind of a six week course. But on the fourth week, nearly everybody on the fourth week would have this epiphany and he'd come in and he'd say in group, you know, and he'd say, when well, my dad used to come home and he'd batter me ma on a Friday and he would have these horror stories and it'd be really apparent why they were addicts, you know, because of this trauma they, they, they kind of went through in childhood. And I used to be going, I oh, had a fucking great childhood, you know, how come I'm a drug addict, you know? So anyway, so that was that was that, right? So I went home when I got home out of Rutland, I went up to visit my ma this day and um, she said st- I went into the house and I said to me dad he was kind of what sort of a idiot are you getting involved with drugs and all this shit? So I said, look, I says um it could have been something happened to me when I was a kid. I was just kind of trying to, I was trying to justify it, you know? And he looked at me kind of, are you saying we didn't love you enough kind of thing? And I just got, oh fuck, look, I'm making it worse. That's not what I meant. So I walked out of the house and when I walked out of the house, I just looked at this doorway that lived, a neighbor that lived on the house. So when I was six, this neighbor sent me to the shop for a bottle of cola. And when I came back, he he says, "Um, this gets a bit heavy. Is that okay? It's okay. Yeah. So he says, uh, in you know, you wouldn't go into somebody's house when you're a kid, you mm-hmm. know. So, the, the door was kind of a day, and he called me in. But when I went in, the house was in darkness, and all the curtains were pulling out. And I remember, remember them bolts used to be on doors years ago, yeah. And the bolt, I remember him putting the bolts up, but anyway, he, he stripped me off, he took the laces out of my shoes, and tied me to a chair and fucking molested me, and all that carry on. But this came back to me like a film reel, you know, from then. and. As I said, I was in the Rutland Centre going through intensive uh, therapy, you know, trying to see what happened in the childhood. And I was going, I never had anything. I had an amazing childhood because I just completely blocked this out, you know.
0: And so, and how did it come to you? So when you I
1: walked out of the gap yeah. that day, I was to being upset with yeah. me ma because I was left to saying all this and I was, I was left to make the situation worse in the house. I was trying to kind of explain it to me, man, and that. And by me saying what I said, when I said there could have been something happened as a kid. Me, Dad, are you saying we didn't fucking love you enough? And, that? and I was going, No, that's not what I meant. I don't mean. And I was walking out, and g- my head was in turmoil, kind of, because I was upset in the mower. And when I just seen the hall door of this guy, because he lived, I can't say where he lived mm. in relation to people now I'm talking about them but he lived very close to where, you know, he was a neighbor. And, uh, you know, the the, f- the thing that happened, though, you see, that happened when I was six, and he did it a couple of times. It wasn't just once, you know, and it was weird. Like I'm gonna say this, and I don't know if people will understand this, but it wasn't so much that I got abused; it was that after it happened a few times, and I kind of felt chosen. You know Because there was all these kids on the road; I didn't know it was wrong. And there was all these kids on the road, and he was picking me, so I kind of felt special. Then, as an adult, looking back, thinking, why was I not disgusted and horrified? You know what, what was wrong with you? And because so, you know, basically, what that does is, mm. it gives you a sex life at six years of age when you don't have the emotional capability to deal with a sex life. Do you know what I mean? And it's a, it's also a warped sex life. Obviously, it's not a kind of natural um, thing. You know, so all that. This is a comedy show, is it?
0: <laughs> it Would well, you know what people mistake it for that, and it's not. It's okay, it's it's an array cool. of different things. Okay. Cool. And so when you went back into the centre, then.
1: Yeah, well, no, till then, I just started kind of going, I, I I ended up, <coughs> I ended up eventually, like, I, I'd gone through a couple of rehabs and nothing was working, yeah. you know, because, like, this is, a, a kind of, m- see, what happened then, I never finished the story, so that happened when I was about six to seven, we say, so I didn't say anything to anybody, and then when I was about nine, I said it to another mate, and I told it to this friend of mine, so he he said to me one day, he says, uh I told my older brother about what happened to you, and he can help you, you know. So he said he's gone, you know, when he comes home. So when he came home from work this guy, we went into the gap, and your man told me my mate to go outside, and I thought it was a bit weird because he knew anyway, and he fucking done the so same. So you're joking? Yeah. So so I grew up then thinking that I was teasing him or something that I was doing something. But it was your fault. Not. Yeah, you know. And I remember my man used to give me, used to give me, I think it was five, was a shilling at the time, whatever it was. So all of those things, you know. And uh, I remember coming out after and my mates were saying, where were you? Where were you? We knocked you." And I saw I was out the back and I remember telling the lie. And it was like the first lie I ever told. Now it obviously wasn't, but it was the first lie I remember telling. And when I was, I was writing, me, I was doing an autobiography this year. So I was in hospital and uh, I was in hospital for about eight months. So I had a lot of time to think. So I was thinking of my life, trying to write this book. And uh, I was going through the early years, like, f- you know, two, three, four, you know, just little snippets of little things that I remembered. And, you know, the way everything was real gay and happy, and co- you know. And I remember once running through, there was this, a cornfield up the road, at f- the top of our road. And it was we were up there in s- one summer and it was pissing out. It was a summer stable but we got a rain shower. And we all stripped off and I knew it and ran through the, the cornfield and, you know, the wet corn hitting us. And it was just absolute joy, you know what I mean? Mm. But then, when I got to be six, just this cloud came over me, you know. And from then on, I was never the same as a person, you know. And the only way I can describe it to somebody that's never experienced something like that, you know when you have a gnawing feeling, like when you're hungry, you have that gnawing feeling Mm -hmm. inside. I had that all my life, just there. It was there all the time. So when I drank, it was it could take or leave it. smoked hash, it could take or leave. But the first day I took heroin, it was like I was home, because that hole just w- disappeared, and was, I was I didn't feel high or stoned. I just felt now I know how you feel when you wake. How you feel in the morning. Mm. Now I know what it's like to be normal. So you wake up the next day with a choice of going back to this fucking, I not having that, you know, and that's. So that's eventually... Because that's kind of what addiction is. You wake up in the morning with a feeling that you don't want, you know, and you're trying to change it to something else. So if you're happy and you're nappy, happy, you're not going to... You're going to look at that and say, because well, who? who wants to be a drug addict? Like, I used to say... I seen fucking Kojak when I was a kid. I Like, I used to look in horror at drug addicts. And I remember being in Bray. I was in Bray. There's a Jackson Bray, a, a public Jacks, right? And I went into the ladies' jacks to turn on, right? <coughs> because there was a mirror in and I used to bang into me look, juggle jugular vein, right? And I'm, I'm in the fucking jacks, right? So when you're, when you're taking heroin, you have to put the needle into the vein. You pull back to make sure you have the vein and blood comes into it, mm-hmm. right? So then you know to be able to send it home, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll get it and then lose it again. So I'm it's an inch half full of blood and fucking heroin, right? And two old women walked in and he looked at me like I like was a piece of shit scumbag, right? And I kind of looked at them and being, I was genuinely thinking, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, this is probably the most horrific thing they've ever seen yeah, in their lives. Yeah. But I thought you were overreacting. It was your norm. You know. It was your normal. It was, was just so fucking out of it, you know. But it was just like a horror scene. Like I remember coming home at my gig one day and uh, I stopped at flats in town to get coke. And I'm sitting outside the flat next to me. It was snowing And I'm in the car and this fella runs out with a shotgun that I owed money to this bloke I, I'd gotten gear off and he got locked up and I never paid him because he got locked up and this was like a year later so when I rang to order the coke your mum was there and said oh, this is Christy he's calling he's Christy, not Christy Dignam is it he says yeah so when I arrived he runn- so I put the car in reverse and the wheels just kept spinning in the fucking snow and your man's running at me with a shotgun. Oh, jeez! <laughs> Honest to God, like a fucking nightmare. Chris,
0: we're only about seven minutes in and we... <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is I better, s- I better slow down.
0: <laughs> we need to stick to the script.
1: Oh, that was the childhood, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, look, look okay, so, so you're... You asking me about my childhood. Your childhood so. was happy to a point. Absolutely.
1: I, like, I loved boards. I, st- I mean, I read boards all my life. And my dad built me a navy when I was a kid out the back garden. So I used to... I used to breed fin- all Irish finches and stuff like that. So, like I don't know if when I went into hospital, I I, I got diagnosed seven years ago. So I had to get rid of them, obviously, when I got sick because I couldn't look after them. Mm. But then even when I came out of the hospital, I got another I- built another AV out of the back here. And uh, so I've only gotten rid of the birds about a year ago. Mm. Not even a year ago. It was actually at the beginning of the COVID, I got rid of the last of my birds and I got him. I've always, So I've always had a, a brain to it, apart from that little blip yeah. in the middle of it, you know.
0: Okay, Christy, the first time you felt laughed at? Well, I've been laughed at a lot. Uh, well,
1: <laughs> I remember once, I oh, was a fucking idiot. I was walking and I don't know, I just wasn't concentrating. And I walked into a pole <laughs> and then I kicked the pole because I walked into <laughs> it. And there was a gang of young ones across the road looking at me. And I said to this, day, I still cringe now. just. <laughs> Thinking about it, you know. I'm hoping you don't remember. <laughs> it was
0: me. I what were know. you? What were you? Did you? Uh, did you go to secondary school? Yeah. What were you like in secondary school? Were you good crack?
1: Yeah. You see, I there was two schools in Belfast. There was the Tech and there was the Christian Brothers. My dad sent me to the Christian Brothers because it was a good education and all. But all my mates that I grew up with and went to school, primary school, with, all went to the Tech. So. I used to go on the bounce on a Tuesday from Patrician College in Finglas, and I'd go up to uh, mechanical drawing classes, and they had a teacher called Mr. Mooney, right? <laughs> and he was, he was a, a bit of a dope. So <laughs> I used to be passing cigarettes into my mates in, in the class, right? So one day, I'm in the class, or I'm passing in the window cigarettes, and a bloke grabs me arm and says, Mr. Mooney, he's trying to get out the window. <laughs> and the teacher come down and dragged me into it and sat me down. So I used to go on the bounce every Tuesday from Patricia and bump into the fucking mechanical drawing <laughs> class in ah. the tech.
0: And were your parents, like, at their wits' end with you at any when point? My
1: parents, they didn't really know. So <laughs> I used to get up every morning to get the, uh, the, 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 the report cards because they not know. Because my mum I'd have to have my legs hanging off before <laughs> my mother let me take it yeah, off, Yeah, you know. So as far as she knew, I don't think I had any days off. And I remember were 190 days, I think it was in 30 I missed that much. And uh, so one day I was in the house and I just heard, Cres, da, da. You know, oh, Jesus, you had the tone. She fucking, well, she battered me, you know, battered me. And me dad, because me dad was, da was always into the whole education. I still did my inter, I got my inter and all that carry on. But uh, I, when I was in Fergals, in primary school and into 2nd I was always ne- in the top of the class and I never really had to work on it. So I think that's why you know yeah but in in patrician it was all like we used to do latin and there was no there was no um there was no uh pe or carpentry or anything like that was all academic you know it was all biology science uh economics latin french so uh, you know and i just i used to be bored i only wanted to be a singer from the time i could remember i was gonna ask that yeah like uh, from the time I i remember when I was about 11 years of age, I was in this troupe in English called the Black and White Minstrels. I mean, I know it's very un- uncred <laughs> now, but <laughs> we used to do all that. But there was something like 22 girls in it, and it was just us two boys, and we were like boy sopranos in it. And I used to sing, you know, Oh, Shenandoah, I love your daughter. I used to sing that. So I remember then we'd do, we'd do competitions and all, you know, talent contests and different things. And I used to be picking out songs then, for my first album, do you know, mm. and that's how, and that's all I ever wanted to do. And when I'd be in school, I'd be thinking, I want to be a singer, Should I don't fucking need this, because that's all I wanted to yeah, do. Yeah. So then I was in a choir, in fer- set up. I was in a choir in <laughs> Fergus, and then Joe Joel well, was in my class all through seco- uh, through primary school and secondary school, so myself and him formed, you know, a first band, which pe- went on to become Aslan then. Because that's all I kind of wanted to do, you know.
0: Christy, the moment if you didn't laugh, you'd cry.
1: Uh, that happens all the time, doesn't it, you know. Just just life gets you like that, I mean. Isn't it?
0: There's room for laughter in every...
1: Absolutely, you have to, you know. I always kind of find a bit of black humour in everything, you know. Because I remember, Darren, I was talking to Darren, my son-in-law, yesterday. And I was saying that, and I was saying, you know, it's just... Jack dying, I said it was worse than me ma and dad together dying, and he says when I said to you, he says, "What did your ma die of?" You said Thursday, and she was only at the <laughs> dying that day. Yeah. So was, I always had that kind of. Yeah. I think you need it, don't you? You have you. to.
0: Hmm. What about? It feels like I'm sure it feels like for you now. Cancer is just has been part of your life for. Yeah,
1: It's, not, it's like it's like when you have a child. Have you any children? No. no. When you have a kid, you can never remember what it was like. Before you mm. had them, you know, and it's the cancer is kind of like that. It's,
0: and it's are you been, sad that you feel like that?
1: No, I don't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> I mean, what's the point of whinging about I it? I know. know. Oh, I used to, honest to God, uh, it's not, it's not a handwritten, like when you're doing chemo, you're in a room and there's about, say, 18, say 10 chairs of these chairs that I was talking about. Yeah. And there's 10 people doing chemo's and you're all kind of sitting in this ward kind of thing. And you get to know people, you know, because you're sitting there for so long. And the ones that would be a fucking new old girl see me, I'm a Johnny cunt, I knew I'd get fucking can't. They always die. I swear to God. Now it wouldn't be a, a hundred percent that they all die and the people that are positive all live. I've seen positive people die as well. But on the general rule, I used to find people that had that defeatist fucking poor me attitude didn't last pissing time in there, you know. And the people that were really positive about it, a lot of them sucks you know, so the way I live my life is, Dorian, yeah. I think, like, even when we are booking this, when we book gigs, and um, every gig we book is under the caveat that on the day we could have to cancel because I don't know on certain days what we're going to wake up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, everybody has to be understanding of that, that works with the band in any shape or form. So I live my life like that, you know, that I don't have cancer. And when cancer comes up and smacks me in the face, you know, I deal with it yeah. on that day. And it's the only way to do because otherwise you just cancel everything do you know what i mean what, what's the fucking point fucking and i don't know how long now for example i don't know how long i've left about two years ago when i was on that pommel the reason that they took me off that in the end was we were doing a gig in numeric and this bloke that was down the pa said listen and uh, your wife's family are with us and you want to come in to get a selfie you know and i was on chemo at the time and uh, brought them in and this element came in and was standing there, I was standing there getting a selfie, a kind of photographer and it <coughs> started coughing oh and spluttering and I'm fucking like this, right? So I came home and the right it was, was right raining fucking next morning I'm bleeding smothered right. So Catherine took me temperature about seven o'clock in the morning and it was it was thirty six degrees, which is right. And she took it at 11 o'clock then and it was gone up to 39 degrees, Jeez. which is fucking, di- that's the, I was delirious by that. I don't even remember that because I was I was delirious by then. Rushed me to hospital. They got an ambulance, rushed me to hospital. So when I was leaving the hospital, I got sepsis anyway, that's what it was. So because you've no immune system, yeah. you, you just know, you, what happens, your body starts attacking itself, you know. Yeah. So um, when I was leaving, the nurse said to me, she says, when you got here, she said, you were in se- You had sepsis. She said, within 12 hours, that would have turned to septic poisoning. She said, oh, we wouldn't have got you back from there. She says, because your immune system is that compromised with the yeah. cancer. So it might not be the cancer that gets you. Do you know what I mean? That's why this COVID is a fucking nightmare. That's what I was going to ask you. How have uh, you been? Well, I, I, I've been on lockdown since March. Jesus. Because if I get, I rang me, uh, because of the heart. See, the, the cancer attacked my heart. Mm. So basically what it did, how it affected it was, kinda of calci- calcifies the the, the 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 uh cells of your heart. So my heart struggles to beat, kinda of, you mm-hmm. know, so it beats my heart's working at about two thirds of its capacity. Right. So uh that's uh, you know so I I, I rang the cardiologist. i uh, well, i I I'd had have for have virtual consultations now with the COVID. So I said to him, I says, Come here, what's the story with this fucking COVID? I says, how serious would it be for me to get it? So he's looking at me, t- he says, well look, he says, you did a uh, chest, we did a chest x-ray the last time I was in, he says, your lungs are grand, you know, because I think with the singing, mm. you know, the, the, my lungs are fairly fucking, s- even though I smoke, yeah. they're fairly okay, yeah. but uh, he says, yeah, yeah find with the COVID, because a, a lot of the, a lot of the damage is doing, is heart damage, cardio mm-hmm. damage, and he says, you, he says, you wouldn't fucking survive it, without a doubt, he says, so oh, just don't get it.
0: Which is why we have our masks on here today. Yes. Will be grand. Okay, Christy, your no laughing matter moment in life. God, I feel like I keep leading you down a path of of depression. (laughs)
1: It's no laughing matter. Oh, God. What
0: moment in your life did you go, shit has hit the fan?
1: Oh, well. So...
0: Yeah. Don't we, why don't we go another way? Because I feel like we've talked about sad things. What was, what was a, a glorious moment in your life that you'll never forget? I've
1: had loads of them. I met David Bowie. We played with Bowie in Slane. Things like that. I was a big Bowie fan. Like fucking worshipped the ground he walked on. You know, as a kid, he was mm. like I liked loads of singers, but Bowie was fucking the main man. So when, when we heard he was coming, we were with EMI Records, and he was at EMI Records. So when he was playing in Slane, we went to our manager and we said, look, we don't care if you never get us another fucking gig. We have to get this fucking gig with Bowie and he got it for us. So that was amazing, you know, just, just to play with him and to meet him and all that. Carry-on. So that was, but I've had lovely, like we did the thing for Bloomsday. Have you ever been to Bloomsday? I've never Sunday done time? it, no. Well, a man rang us last year and he asked me would I do a song in the thing, right? So you have a big marquee with about 600 people, it, and they're all dressed in the blooms gear, you mm. know, the, in the the period gear. So Mary Cochlam was there and a few of singers, you know, and they're all up, you know, um, doing the poetry about fucking James Connolly, you know, walking in, getting shot and fucking, you know, all this, you know, they're yeah. doing all these real serious Irish stuff, you know. And I'm going, I have to get up and do crazy one. <laughs> you know and i'm going holy <laughs> yeah but it, it, it probably went down and bombed well so that's what i'm gonna say to you. so it was in a marquee right so we went on stage and i'm fucking terrified you know and uh michael and so w- but when we walked in um michael's wife said to me she says look i know you're not well she says we have a room here with a bed if you feel tired or anything, you know, just go straight th- in. And I said, oh, blew me away. Yeah. I said, did you make the bed? I said, oh, away <laughs> <you."> <laughs> But uh, anyway, so and um, so we're doing Crazy World. And while I'm doing it, I do this thing at the beginning where I split the audience and all that. I was doing this is actually at that time. So I started pissing rain, right? And it was like drums Aww. on the ceiling <laughs> of the thing. So there was this <laughs> cacophony of all that. And the place just went mental. And like I was talking to, you know, Kat out uh, with East Yeah. Yeah, man, the other fella she's... Alfie. Alfie. Yeah. The two of them were already, you know they did some version of... East yes, yeah. So they were up, they were at the thing that day, and they came up and just, thanks for you to Jesus, you got up. So they were <laughs> sitting there and said, like, what, what the fuck? Because you know? they were English, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't sitting get the whole, up. oh, Jesus. Yeah, well, just sitting about. Awkward. Anti-English kind of, you
0: know. <laughs>
1: so... But uh, so I actually became friends with him after, like he, he, I met him down when he was down in uh, Wexford then and he so went out and got all your albums and all after the, after the, you we did up there. So, but that was just playing for the president, the little things. I like yeah. things like that. I love being Irish. Yeah. I love everything about being o- Irish. I love Ireland. When we start, when we started in the band and um, when we were signing deals and stuff, mm. it was always. Come, you know, we need to come out to London to this studio to record the best studio in Los Angeles. These, are, and we insisted on recording here in Ireland. And the reason what we did, we did was we were trying to keep it uh, an industry here. Yeah. So, cause you know, I said we use the studios here, you know, and we were insistent, and we lost deals and all because of it. You wouldn't sign us because you wouldn't go over to London and stuff. So I done a show out on the lately during the pandemic, and I made a point that from the time I started in the music business, every time anybody had a crisis, they've come to us to do a charity gig, right? When we do a charity gig, say we do a charity gig in Vickers Street, right? Mm. All the door staff are paid. All the bar staff are paid. The PA people are paid. The lighting people, all our roadies have to be paid. The only people not getting paid is the fucking band. And I have done that thousands of times throughout my career, right? And I've no problem with it. You know, I don't mind doing it. You know, uh, the fact that I can do it is a great honour, you know. But I said on the Late Late show, I said, right, now we're in fucking crisis. We can't do I haven't earned a penny. We're not entitled to COVID uh, loans, mm-hmm. and you're yeah, that carry on. So I said on the Late Late show, I said, I'm asking all the Irish DJs out there to try and play a little bit more Irish music, not just Aslan, any Irish music that's in, in there, just to fucking give us some sort of revenue until this fucking crisis is over because we're in crisis now yeah. this, this is the thing right so this woman rang me we we're, uh, were doing the Ivy Gardens last two years ago So this woman rang me that I knew from when I was in the black and white minstrels yeah. right? so she said listen my son is in a band his name is Curtis he's in a band called Vinci and the Grey you know? she says and uh, I was wondering could you if you just can't get a break and I wonder could you help them out and I said listen I won't say I force you I said listen I says I'm going to tell you a story I said, I had a singing school before I, before I got sick that time. I had a sk- music, a singing school. So I was teaching kids singing lessons. And I used to get phone calls of women and men. And they'd say, Listen, I have a son or a daughter. And when she sings, it's like a fucking angel playing a violin. When this child sings, she says, The whole family is in tears, we're in fucking bits and all, ain't you? And I'd write book a book, I tw- two o'clock on Tuesday in audition for this singing. Yeah. This kid would sing, and she'd be like, uh, yeah. and I'd be looking and I'd be going listen to that and look and want to be crying and i go you're fucking crying I feel like fucking crying myself <laughs> so I said to a woman I said so don't take offence yeah I said you have a mother's love you know yeah. I said you're going to hear what nobody else hears I said so I listened to them anyway she sent me a te- demo kind of email, made me them, yeah. and they were fucking amazing right yeah yeah so I gave them a gig in, the, in I gave them a support in the Ivy Gardens yeah. right yeah so they supported us in the Ivy Gardens and uh, I walked off, they played a great gig and I came off after our gig and they're all in tears at the back of the stage, the band. And I said, well, James won't be that bad. A man's father died of a heart attack, the singer, during Aww. the fucking gig. During? His gig. Oh, for... So he's after coming off the biggest gig of their careers, buzzing, and his fucking father had died of a heart attack during the gig. So his mother wouldn't tell him until obviously mm. after the gig. So, it's just horrific. Anyway, this band are fucking amazing. And I was saying, these have to, you know, I'm going to be hearing about this band.
0: Yeah. Okay, Christy. The person you always laugh with.
1: I laugh with anybody who's willing to have a laugh with me, to be honest with you. I love laughing. It's fucking great. (laughs) I love it. You know, a good belly laugh. Peter Kay makes me laugh like that, you know, as a comedian. Yeah, yeah. I know it. I just love him he's just I think he's a good comedian
0: but who in your life it, what about the lads in the band or is it c- c- ah, yeah, who? we have great laughs in the band
1: Yeah, like we used to because you get bored in the band you know because yeah. you're travelling around la- so we used to do this thing where we'd play a game of um, a game of cards so whoever lost in the game of cards had to do a forfeit yeah. so they'd have to do something so for example I had to go into a shop I, used to, I lost it one day and I had to go into a shop I was kind of 20, John Player Blue, and I was there. You go, that'd be 10.50 I'm Christy Dignam, I don't pay for cigarettes. <laughs> and you had to do it, you know, because this was your forfeit. So things like that. Yeah, have yeah, to yeah. Do like, so. Oh, did you do it? Oh, Jesus. i had to it. do it, yeah. Stop. So we got Alan one day, it was a Saturday, through Portage. You know, Portlaoise? Yeah. Going through Portage on a Saturday afternoon. And Alan was on his knees, right? Yeah. With a pair of shorts and a leather jacket with a collar around and a chain, and Joe was walking. <laughs> <laughs> that was his prophet, <laughs> right? So we had this roadie with us. Jerry was his name, <laughs> and he just never lost. He just—he was a bastard. He was just good. He was just, you know, some people are just lucky. Our guys are good. Yeah, no yeah. All. He just—he could never—he could never get him, you know. But one day it came. He lost. So he said we had to do something good for him, right? Yeah. So what we did was that day Ryan Giggs was in the Daily Mirror. I pictured him taking a shot, you know. Yeah pull-off photographs, the middle of the page spread. So he had to lie in the dressing room with his <laughs> packs around his ankles and his elbow, right? I'm with the mirror open and a picture of lying Giggs. And I said to the to the security guy, he, I said, look, I change in dressing rooms. Can you go in and get the drink out of no. the dressing room and put it in that dressing room? <laughs> no, so he walked no. in and Jerry's lying like this. So when he, the <laughs> man on in, said, listen, this is a game <laughs> we actually have.
0: And, and, <laughs> and I man's looking at me, you fuck off. So, yeah, oh, typical lads. Yeah. Okay. A time where you had the last laugh, Christy.
1: The last laugh.
0: The last laugh.
1: Right. So when we really, when we had, now this is a kind of story that goes back and I've made up, we've kissed and made up since. So when we released this is when we wrote this is so we're going as a band and people say, you just need a single out to get to the next level. You know, this is when we're kids. So we had songs, you should release this song. But I knew this is a record, this is a force record. It has to be something good, you know. So when we wrote this, Is I knew we'd written a, a good song, right? Mm. So at that time, you 2 had a label called Mother Records, which was to help out young Irish bands, give them a leg up, and especially bands that were active in Fucked around by british companies and stuff mm-hmm. and at that stage we'd had like i remember doing a, a, a showcase in town and like this a television club used to be in Harcourt Street. i don't think you'd remember it but it was a big fucking hall and there's just four people and we're in full production gig and there's just four people sitting there looking at you in the middle of the hall you know and you have to act like the place is jammed do you know right what I mean? So we did this gig, it was with Christmas records. Listen, fucking love it, we're going to sign the band. We just woke out the economics, we have been in touch with you Monday. So we're going around fucking popping champagne and all. Lindy one let listen, we changed our minds. Mm. And this was happening like constantly, just different things. I remember CBS stringing us along for those six months and we were rejecting other companies because mm. they were telling us and then they promising this, that, and yeah. the other. So we'd gone through all that. So when we wrote, had this is, I said, look, this is the one. So I rang Bon office and I said, listen, can I meet Bono? And so I was meeting him in the waterfront, you know, the waterfront there in, on the docks where the Guinness boat used to be. Oh yeah. Which was beside Winnin Lane. Yeah. So I had to meet him there at 12 o'clock. So I went in, myself and Joe, and we used to rehearse in the pigsty up at the airport. So we used to rehearse from nine to five every day, except Sunday, for about a year, writing the first album, right? So... We we had all the, we were start to house and left there about eleven into the thing just me and Joe so the band are sitting up there waiting for the the thing you know the, what happened so half twelve one o'clock I'm ringing the office I'll be there in a minute two o'clock though half two we arrived right so by then I'm fucking fuming you know mm. so um he came in and he I had to listen to the song and uh, no chorus no chorus in the song you know I says what no chorus in the song he says, I'll tell you what he says uh, ring the office and I'll give you a, t- a tape recorder and tape you as I set and I'll have a listen and I went right right, okay uh. so I'm fucking buzzing right so we walked out of the place and Joe says what we tell the band when we go home and I went the fucking bastard I says, he's actually telling us to fuck off but I didn't even realise yeah. it because Bono's great you know and I said this to him to his face yeah. he's great at talking with saying nothing <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> it's it's a fucking art form, but and I said it to him. He knows <laughs> he knows that I think this <laughs> and he's now you know, bonus he's a very cool bloke, Yeah. He's a lovely, lovely he came up here when I was sick, you know, and he c- gave me a a a heeny book of poetry and all. Like he's really, really cool. I show you actually a thing he gave me. Yeah. It was his birthday a few weeks
0: ago in May. Happy birthday. What date? Twenty third. Oh. So
1: look. He sent this up to me. Now, this is was the song, right? Yeah. So what it says is, the song has no chorus because the verse is the chorus. Uh, these are the hands of a man who missed a great tune, Happy Christmas. Ah. I thought
0: that was lovely, you know. That is so lovely. Yeah, so anyway. Did he drop it up to the house?
1: Yeah, he's been up here. He came up, as I said, when I sickened out, you know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he's lovely. And, and we've kissed and made up because I yeah. had a problem with this for a long time. Because I felt, um, you know, fucking anyway <laughs> so that year we went about a week later we went to a place called Rekus records we a small independent label and they released this is this is was the biggest played single in rt in two FM that year yeah. it won a hot press so in the hot press awards that year it was this is do you remember that song into the storm with planet and you two no anyway it was a song planet and youtube right. so it was us then you two and planet and christy moore were the three songs nominated I'm sitting there and, and the winner is Aslan.
0: Aww.
1: so that was my last laugh. I
0: <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. And look at them now, dropping you off gifts. Yeah. OK, Christy, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be?
1: Oh, God. Laughter is the best medicine. There's nothing there's nothing that would replace laughter. What about After, music? Uh... Music can only go a certain way, you know. Laughter gives something to you that nothing else gives you. I think the hardest job on earth is a comedian, honest to God. Like, I look at comedians, and although I've said what I said earlier on about comedians, I do know it's a fucking tough gig. Mm. You know, to stand in a room and have nothing and make people laugh is a fucking great gift, you know. Mm. And I really admire anybody that can do it, you know. But I have a very high standard. (laughs) I swear to God because <laughs> the way I look at it is with music you know people can give or take with, with a comedian the only thing you do is make them laugh I don't want you to be ironic yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. I don't want you to be clever Make be fucking funny <laughs> you know I don't like these. you know an observationist f- that's very you know what? that's quite ironic you know that <laughs> La- make me laugh that's the only thing you have to fucking do <laughs> it's the only requirement just make me laugh so okay, I think it's a hard gig, and there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. The, the laughter gets to a part of the soul that nothing else can touch, you know. And it's a huge, like, I know, Stephen. You know, when you're like, when I here's a, a thing. When when I was I was in hospital for about a year, and then when I came out, <coughs> I was in a wheelchair for about a year. <coughs> so I was really. I was sitting here, I was sitting there one day, and I started thinking. Uh, what happened was I was looking at the news And do you remember they were coming over on the boat from the Mediterranean, and this kid was washed up on the beach? Do you remember that story? that photo. So that that just for some, I mean, it hit hit the whole world. But I remember sitting here, and I start thinking, like, I'm at the end of my life now. Because when I came out of hospital first, I was given six months. He said, if you have anything on your bucket list, you know, you don't want to do it now. You have about six months to live. So I'm thinking, I'm at the end of my life. Here's kids fucking dying, going across. And what did you do with your life you, s- you wrote a few songs sang a few songs you're fucking wanker and i said what a fucking waste of a fucking life when all the good you could have done in life you know and helped people and what did you do you fucking sang songs you fucking and i was just oh man so down you know and it was only um somebody sent me a video of fucking peter Kay, and i remember kind of laughing that day and then I, I did a gig the next day and I kind of started lifting out of it. Yeah. And then I started looking at what people were getting out of gigs and people coming up to me about, you know, that they were going through a certain thing yeah. and this song did this. And I started realizing then that, you know. The
0: difference you'd made yeah, with your music.
1: But beca- yeah, but because of the weather, it was, was obviously it was depressed. I didn't know it was depressed at the time. Yeah. But it was obviously the depression. And it was only laughter and music that took me out of that, you know. So that's like, I'm fairly fucking serious about me laughter. I love laughing. It's just fucking amazing.
0: Just but to kind of didn't
1: it release the dolphins and all.
0: Oh, yeah, nothing like it. No,
1: absolutely not. But so that's why I can't think of anything that would replace it. Yeah, know? yeah,
0: yeah. But your music, could you ever have anticipated the effect or the mark it would leave on people?
1: No, never. Like uh, One thing I did an interview with, um, um, Chemo, brain.
0: What, radio? Oh, TV. Uh, Ryan Hubbardy? No. Ew. He's
1: a beard, comedian.
0: Oh, Tommy Tunein? Tommy Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Tommy, it's chemo, brain. It's nothing to do with you. <laughs> you can just say what you like and blame, know, and blame yeah. it on chemo. But anyway,
1: <laughs> and he said to me, he says, you know, um, he says, this is in crazy world, it's like in the Irish DNA, you know. And that fucking blew me away, you know. And I never thought of that, you know. And, you know, you know, the amount of people I've c- have come up to me, you know, and said, you know, what that song has done to them, or, you know, what has got them through certain things, you know, because, I don't know, it's just, it's amazing, you know. It's, it's, it's a huge honour, you know. Because I used to, l- I listened to Thin Lizzy, like, like, when I was a kid. Mm. And, you know, to think that, you know, something that I did would have the same effect, you know, on the Irish nation. Yeah. Not just, you know, on your friends kind of thing. Like, it's one thing having your friends... To our gigs and stuff, which happens when you're starting off, but to have a whole nation, and I think the fact that we didn't go beyond Ireland really, you know, it, it, it lent itself to that we were kind of Ireland's band because sometimes, like you too, for example, are the script, the script, see the script, nicest people you could ever meet. I don't know if you know the lads, no, I've nice. never met them. Oh, I swear to god, yeah, fucking. Honest to God, beautiful people, mm. really. Like Glenn rang me the drummer when my father because his father had just died prior to that. Mm. And, you know, he said, Look, if you need to talk or, and just lovely, lovely people, you know. Mm. And I did a thing with them in the point. I got up and done crazy world with them. And he just treated, my wife and um, he just treated her like a fucking queen, you know. Mm. They got her up on she was up on the stage looking at the the gig and all. They were just lovely people. I just loved them. But anyway, because they're on an international stage, they're no longer Ireland's band. They're kind yeah. of an international band, yeah. where we kind of, for you know, for a myriad of reasons, didn't go to become an international band. Yeah. And I you see. I don't. If I I used to think it was because of the quality of what we did, you know, and <coughs> I don't think that anymore because no. it's you know there's a myriad of reasons why a band would would be successful or not successful. I'll tell you a story when I finish this. I can't tell you on the air about, about a band that were hugely successful. That shouldn't and, have been. And how, no, how they became successful. Oh, sorry. Just the little fucking twists and turns. <laughs> right. But anyway, so, um, I think that kind of helped us to become kind of an Irish man, I suppose. So people, you know, we, we never, are still, we're still people's kind of secret or yeah. something. I don't yeah. Know but, um, There's an ownership there. Yes. Yeah. and It's an Irish thing. And I, I that 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 blows me away because I know the Irish audience are hugely critical, especially a Dublin audience. Yeah. Like one thing about you know yourself from being a, a performer, if you're dodgy, people will tell you in a heartbeat. Yeah. And that's Irish humour as well. You know that fucking smart smart Irish humour? They'll tell you in a fucking heartbeat, what's yeah. wrong with you? you know? yeah Like I was in <laughs> I was in we're doing a gig in Vicar Street, right? And I went into a pub next door or into a chipper. <laughs> uh, before the, after the sound check, I'm in the chipper, you know. And this woman came in with a few kids, and they have have been swimming or something somewhere around there. And uh, you know, the old one was kind of oh, Christy, you know, yeah, And she says to the kids, and um, you know him, he's in a band. And she says, What band are you in, mister? And I said, well, I say Aslan, I'm not going to say that. And I you remember that band, Five, <laughs> you remember Five? Yeah. So I says, I'm in five. <laughs> you know, the kids said, You're in 50, fucking Five. <laughs> <laughs> A little kid. No! I swear to God. <laughs> so, you know, like, where would you get that? You know what I mean?
0: That is brilliant. But, the,
1: but the, you know, Irish people will tell you in a fucking heart. Yeah. Dublin people. And you do it in that kind of witty kind of, but a cuts you in too. you know. But sure,
0: you're very good at it yourself. Sure, you've slated half of the, oh, half no. the music in this interview. I know, I do you, have you always been, sorry, this isn't part of the interview, I just want to ask you this. Have you always been someone who just unapologetically speaks their mind? Right, so the first day the first time we were on the late late show
1: I'll never forget it because you're you know you're in the late the camera's fucking here, yeah. You know, yeah. And you're trying to act like a in a hall of you know, <laughs> and people always think the late late show's huge. You it's know. tiny. Yeah. So and I remember looking at it when I got home and just thinking, if you're anyway fake a fucking Yeah out. and it just it was just something like Coped as a kid, you know, yeah. And I said, if I'm ever fake, so I just and because I was using for a long time, I knew there were people out there had skeletons belong to me, you know, that they could reveal about me. I remember one day getting strip searched in on by the drug squad because I was trying to score, right going, telling and ask to, can you hurry up, I have to do the Late Late Show tonight, right? Stop going into the Late Late Show, and st- gave Barnes, how long are you off the drugs now, Christy? Ah, oh, I've only a year off it now. Yeah. And I'm thinking that the coppers in Valley mongong that little bastard, I must have been strip sex two hours ago. You know, so anyway, <laughs> like, apart from that, like, I had to lie about things like that. But, I noticed that when you were fake, it really came across, you know, and it was really, so, you know, i just speaking the fucking minds because what's the point? They're not doing anybody any favours no. because I, fu- like, the reason I sustained my addiction for as long as I did because some people were enabling me to continue and they weren't doing me, although they thought they were helping me, they weren't. No. And if I, if I don't tell somebody they're a fucking asshole, I'm not helping them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not helping them reach the reality.
0: Okay, Christy, you ready for the quick fire round? Yeah. Um. Okay. The actor you always laugh at. Are you big into movies or TV?
1: Yeah. I love, um, fucking Steve's. Carell? No, I love Steve Carell, yeah. Do you? Yeah, he's great.
0: <laughs> what Steve are you thinking of?
1: The old Steve with the grey hair. Steve Martin? Steve Martin. Steve Martin,
0: good man Shane. Steve Martin. Yeah, like yeah he's
1: good. But I like stupid humour as well. I, I used to love the three studies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Slapstick, kind of. Okay.
0: You know. What about, yeah, actresses. Okay, right. What about the comedian you always laugh at?
1: Comedian. Um, that, that, that's, that,
0: them two Peter Kay. Guys. Oh, it's blonde oh, f- Who are you I thinking either. of? Who are the two blonde girls you're talking about? Get me, yeah, just go on, get second. the phone. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to think who that is. I I when I say it. Two of them?
1: I think it is Anya Martin. Like, that's fairly good, you know. Like, Sean's done the bigger thing and stuff, so she's always. I think good. you're thinking
0: of Anya Martin. I like be, yeah. What does she do? Videos about.
1: I'll you know. She'll just be a man, Rory Stories. Yeah, yeah
0: that's her. That's Enya. Yeah.
1: Right, there's another one as well. Do you know?
0: Oh, oh, Jen Hatton.
1: I'll tell you now. Just let me ring my daughter. She'll yeah, tell me yeah. It probably is. <laughs> but I, I met Jen Hatton and says I love you. And I started telling the story. Oh, you're about you know the, the other, I get you yes, now. Say so. I'm always doing things. Come like here, Molly. I'm always punting you fucking things. Does, she know? D-
0: does the things. D- does the bird know her name? No, she doesn't. <laughs> no.
1: Stop that. Stop that. Kira. Kira, you know those two blondie girls, the comedians, what's their names? You know the two blondie girls? that remember I made a mistake to a woman for the other one. Enya Martin. And Jen. So I thought Jen was funny, but I said to Enya Martin, no. I told Enya Martin. <laughs> Go on. I told anyone she was great doing the Polish girl, but Jen does the Polish girl, so that was it.
0: Got gotcha you now. Thanks, Kira.
1: Yeah, I'm doing a podcast with Dorian, <laughs> and I was just uh, I couldn't <laughs> remember their names. So right, Kira? Oh, she's Kira. To told Jen that about that. Well, girl. Thanks for uh, backing me up on that one. <laughs> like, we well, so yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, they're brilliant. Oh, they're amazing. Eh? Okay. Finally, Christy, your best joke.
1: I'm brutal at telling jokes doesn't matter. When I'm, when I'm on stage, sometimes I kind of do have a bit of crack with the audience. I do a thing with Joe, like we do Aslan, and that's kind of that, but I do a thing with Joe where it's just the two of us, and we do all the little theatres around. There's a little theatre in every town in Ireland. So we do those little theatres. And it's just an acoustic thing and we, we do a kind of talking you know we're talking to the audience and they, they request songs and stuff and i'd have banter with the audience and I'd, we'd have them in bleeding floods you're just pissing themselves <laughs> yeah but it's just spontaneous yeah 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 I mean? I, I, if i have to tell a joke i've no timing
0: that's okay you just you're just naturally shit you have natural flow and it's your honesty that's funny
1: right so when i'm kind of just bullshitting i can kind of get a laugh. But as it regards jokes, I'm not really a joke, you know.
0: That's okay. That That's okay. Stick with the singing, Christy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> stick with the singing.
0: Christy Dignam, thank you so, so much for sharing the last of your life, and, and last <laughs> of your lives. I can't even remember the name of my own podcast, uh, and for welcoming us into your home and Cheers, at a time you. when you're going through chemo. It is during COVID. Having strangers in the house is um, it's not advised. But sure, we're here and we've our masks on. And yeah. thank you so much for doing the podcast. not at all.
1: Kira was actually when when we met you that day Kira said you have to do that because as I said you know I find you three you and those other two girls are funny you know but <laughs> they we're finished are we?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life with Christy Dignam I hope you enjoyed it if you're a regular listener of the podcast or this is your first time to tune in I would love you to rate and review your experience you can do that on whatever podcast platform you listen to the show. You can like and subscribe as well. And if you want, tweet me at Deryn Garaghi and let me know what you think. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Great hair, no worries.